1: Plan savings with three lines of T Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 971 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of The Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts.
2: We are getting dangerously close to the weekend. This uh, first day of December. Tomorrow's my sister's birthday, December 2nd. Oh, that's nice. Yep.
3: Um, don't
2: want to say her age. Probably no, shouldn't do that, I right? I wouldn't recommend it's it. My, I have two sisters. This is the one who's a little older. They're both baby sisters, though. Uh, is I she can't the one I that. met? Is this no, a, no uh, that's the other Leslie. one. She, She's much younger. She's not even, she's not even 50 yet. Oh. I, <laughs> I know, right? Or did she <laughs> just turn 50? Wait, she might have just turned 50. Don't this talk year. about it. I don't She know. is uh, young I and I think she fabulous. turned 50 this year. That's it. But uh, we don't want to focus on that. No, right? of course no. not. Uh, we have Dr. McCary it. coming up a little later. Fox News medical contributor wrote a book called The Price We Pay. We'll talk about Dr. Fauci and maybe get his thoughts on what's happening with, uh, with COVID right now, which thankfully is very quiet. We did get an email this week, Sue, you know, from the building that somebody had COVID. Did you notice that? I did. We, we haven't had a lot of those recently. Mm-mm. It was interesting to me because I had no idea who that person was which I think is pretty much the case with most of the people around here anymore. We have an audio cut of the day coming up as well. Before the end of the last hour, I did talk about, you know, the the whole situation with Twitter and Elon Musk and some of the things that are even coming out today. And then Whoopi Goldberg says that liberals should leave Twitter, to which I say, good, good riddance, bye. J. Peter Zane wrote about this. He's an editor at Real Clear Investigations, a columnist for Real Clear Politics with us this afternoon. How are you this afternoon?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate it.
2: You are making the case, and I think this is a case to be made, that a lot of things that are happening with Musk right now is exactly what the media did to demonize Donald Trump, right? Uh,
3: The media, but also the uh, government, you know, the Democratic Party, the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I mean, that was probably the biggest political scandal in American history, Um, and I would argue, as I do in my piece, that it's much worse than January 6th, which was a terrible event. But it was also a one-off by a bunch of crazed activists who were angered about the election and acted completely inappropriately. But that can't compare to an orchestrated effort by uh, political leaders and governmental leaders to uh, undermine a president of the United States through lies, which is what they did. And now they're trying to do that to Musk.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. And you know I'm glad you brought up January 6th. I, I was horrified by January 6th. And, and I've talked about that. But when you start to put, and by the way, I'm going to get into this, I think, a little bit later, too. You start to look at even the treatment of the government for some of these suspects, where we have people in St. Louis who have pretty much shot and killed people who don't get, you know, in solitary confinement or the treatment that some of the defendants from January 6th get right now.
3: Absolutely. We uh, did a, have a database at Real Clear Investigations that takes a look at the uh, treatment that January 6th people got versus uh, the, the people during these summer BLM riots. And there's a huge difference. But this is one of the things that the left does. And I'm not saying that the right doesn't do it, but the left is far more powerful in this country in terms of controlling the media and other sources of information, is they take on the mantle of defending high-minded principles, democracy, the rule of law. And then what they do is they absolutely violate those things. There was nothing that was more anti-democratic than the effort to kneecap Trump through phony Russiagate claims that were manufactured by Hillary Clinton and were, by the way, then uh, repeated by Joe Biden, Hakeem Jeffries, who's now the... uh, uh, it's going to be the head of the Democratic Party in the House, and, and dozens of other people. And they it's really McCarthyite, because that's what uh, McCarthy did. Well, at least with McCarthy, you know, the Soviets were a threat, and there really were some communists in the government. It doesn't defend, you know, completely what he did, but there was a threat. These people manufacture a phony threat. They use high-minded language to do low-down dirty things against people who simply disagree with them.
2: And, and it works because the rest of the mainstream media is complicit, right?
3: Completely. They're... they're, yeah. they're, they're Totally, you know there are. It's funny because you know there are people are always complaining about Fox News, right? Because there only is Fox News on TV. <laughs> so if there were Fox News and Joe TV and uh, Fred News, they'd be complaining about that. But the fact that they only talk about that one thing is telling you that there's them versus ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, C, uh, MSNBC the newspapers.
2: Well, I'd throw in even more than that. You know, one thing that needs to be included in all that, too, is Vanity Fair and Vogue and all these magazines, Rolling Stone, the things that not traditionally would be news or political, but they sure get political, don't they?
3: Oh, they do. Absolutely. In The Atlantic, it's literally 95 to 1. I mean, the amazing thing is... That, and believe me, I'm sure, like you, I have a lot of problems with the Republicans, but I'm just saying it's amazing they ever win any election, given all of the headwinds that they have to face. And it's a actually the best testament of democracy in this country is the fact that there's still enough people out there who can say, what do I think's going on? What, what, what auto, what, how do I make my decision apart from all that noise um, that, that's, the, the one thing that we have going for us. And I'm hoping, too, that, you know, an interesting thing about Elon Musk is all of you read the mainstream media, you read story after story that says people are leaving Twitter, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, we should leave.
2: Well, right, I just played that audio. Musk yeah. is to
3: be believed. Yeah, If Musk is to be believed. They have record numbers of signups. So the elites have a problem and the elites control things. And that's why they, they didn't like Trump, because Trump was an outsider. He was the first person who ever ascended to the White House who didn't have military or political experience. They don't like Musk because they were controlling Twitter. They controlled Twitter so that it put the kibosh on the Hunter Biden laptop story, which may have swung the election. Uh, it's cancel culture. It's If you question what Fauci was doing, they kick you off. So it's not that they're defending principles. They're defending their right to control the narrative and the government, which they think they ought to be running because they're smarter and better than the rest
2: of us. Yeah, they feel like if you hear the comments, uh, in, to your point, in the last couple of weeks, there seems to be this sense of entitlement, like they they have the, uh, the ownership of Twitter, right? The left does. And how dare you come in here and try to take away our forum?
3: Right. By simply subscribing to the cherished American value of free speech. Absolutely. But you know, the fact is they have controlled these things for a long time. And you see this, you know, when you run something like the bureaucracy, is probably 90% liberal Democrats, right? And so they believe that they know better. They couldn't even, they, they don't even try to explain what they're doing in many instances, because they don't think we would understand it. And if we did hear what they have to say and we oppose their latest regulation or their latest sue-and-settle thing uh, they'd say, "Well, well, if I give you this information, you will just misunderstand it and abuse it so I'm just going to keep you in silence. And one of the... I'm going to write a column about this in a couple of weeks one of the things that happens in journalism now is you'll see on TV, they'll say to Christopher Ray, you know, can you tell me about, you know, this uh, Hunter Biden laptop? We can't talk about ongoing investigation. <laughs> yeah. But then they leak all the time. Right. They leak all the time. And if you're a journalist and you ask for a piece of information, nine times out of ten, I don't know what it's like for the New York Times or the Washington Post, but if you're like a normal person, file a Freedom of Information request. We wanted to find out about John Kerry's climate office. Mm -hmm. They told us they couldn't give us any information until 2025. So we're going to have to sue them now. But they don't feel any responsibility to tell us what they're doing unless they feel it's in their interest.
2: Right. And you you won't have the New York Times, the Washington Post and Rolling Stone and all those other magazines on your side to get that information from John Kerry, right? Right.
3: Yeah, no, they, they don't want to know. They, 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 they're fine, just go do what you're doing. So they're, they're, And actually, one of the funny things is that this whole indoctrination thing, uh, where it really has an effect, is on the left. Because you read different sources of information, you listen to different sources of information, so you hear this and you go, this Russiagate thing, this seems like nonsense. That Hunter Biden laptop, that seems real. The people who they're actually brainwashing, their own supporters they're the ones who really have they're the ones who think that Ron DeSantis passed a bill in Florida that said School teachers, Yeah, don't say, the, bill don't say gay
2: bill. Of course they do. You know, a good example of this here in St. Louis really kind of surfaced in the last week with Musk. I don't know if you saw that he had and he had deleted this tweet, but he had referred to our situation in Ferguson with Mike Brown and the hands up don't shoot. And there, there's a right. fair number of people even here in the St. Louis area where this was ground zero that still think that the kid had his hands up and that he was shot in the back. I bet a bunch of people around the country, if you went and asked them about Mike Brown and Ferguson, they would think that there, there could be nothing further from the truth. And by the way, the science, they always cite the science. Well, the forensic evidence makes it so clear that that didn't happen, along with the witnesses who did testify to the FBI. But the facts don't matter in that situation. Same thing with Covington Catholic or with Brett Kavanaugh and Squee or with Jussie Smollett. The list goes on, right?
3: Right. Absolutely. uh, uh, Trayvon Martin. I mean, he was—I don't know what—nobody knows how he and the the man— Reconnected. All we know is that he was on top of the guy and he was pounding him into the ground and he got shot. And, you know, they have a narrative that uh, does not make room for things that don't fit, that don't help them maintain power. One of the yeah. destructive.
2: One of the examples I've used recently, and, and this is one that, that's hard because I, I think a lot of people haven't really heard about it. It was highlighted certainly in a lot of the mainstream media. and ESPN ran with it um, full, you know, full bore. Was the BYU Duke volleyball story from a couple of months ago? You familiar with that one? Sure.
3: yeah. I live in North Carolina.
2: Oh yeah, so you know it very well. But you know the the way, and to this day, there's still people, even though there is. Zero evidence that that allegation occurred, that there was someone shouting out the N-word to a black Duke volleyball player. There's zero evidence, right? There's a lot of evidence that it didn't happen. But the reporting, even in the aftermath of the investigation, which proved that there was no evidence, it didn't matter. It's just it makes me so infuriated because I see people in the media write things that they, I don't, they have to know that they're lies.
3: So my former newspaper, because I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, the Raleigh News and Observer, wrote an editorial that basically said, uh, why would this girl lie? And anyway, that's how she felt. So we believe her. And this is the same newspaper that was part of the lynch mob for the Duke lacrosse case. So, you know, at, at some point, pu- people make mistakes all the time. When you're in the news business, it's fast and furious, and you got to... But when you keep making the same mistake over and over again, that means you don't want to correct. That means that you want to advance a narrative that is divisive. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, and, you know, here's another example, and I just Googled this one to see um, some of the details. Do you remember... This goes back to June of 2020. So that would have been in the aftermath of right around George Floyd time. And we've had some of these things occur here, um, even at the University of Missouri. It's happened a few times at high schools where you have racist graffiti. And then it ends up being, unfortunately, a black student. In Oakland, there were ropes that were found hanging from a tree in a city park, and they were deemed nooses. And this was symbols of terror. Do you remember that story from a couple of years ago? Yeah. So then. Yeah. So then what happens is we find out that it was a black dude who put those ropes in the trees and he's been using them for exercise equipment for months and months and months. But even even when the facts came out that indicated that, no, those weren't racially charged nooses and hate crimes, the mayor of Oakland said doesn't matter. This is how people felt exactly what you were just saying. So the facts didn't matter in the least bit to these people.
3: Right. Well, it's the Dan Rather fake but accurate, according to them. And honestly, you know, r- race is an issue, and it's something that people should talk about. We're, we're not a perfect society. I mean, we're tribal in a lot of ways. You know, everybody has some issues with other people. Um, and what's, a, what's so disheartening as somebody who is actually a classical liberal, open to, you know, open inquiry and curiosity, is when you have so many Phony cases like this, it turns people off from discussing issues at all in any kind of honest way. I'm really, you know, if an appalling thing happens, let's talk about it. Let's find out what happened. But when you consistently have Jesse Smollett's and fake nooses, it's actually bizarre how many of those cases uh, turn out to not be what they say they are. And I don't know that they understand how much it undermines the confidence of people of goodwill to say, Let, let's engage in a dialogue to talk about how we can all be a better community and society, which is what we all want.
2: Well, and, you know, the, um, the more recent example might be the club Q shooting in, in Colorado, right, where this was a hate crime and all this. Now the guy comes out, and I don't know all the facts, but let's not label everything a hate crime when all of a sudden then we find out the guy was non-binary and who knows what the motivation was. We don't necessarily know right now, but they jump to conclusions. They run with the narratives. The narratives never get corrected.
3: Absolutely. and And, you know, isn't the point that some deranged, troubled person went and killed, you know, Six people, however many it was. Remember the Pulse nightclub. I mean, yeah. you know, it was not an anti-gay crime. But they—they—it's like it's bad enough. You almost are doing a disservice to these people who have lost loved ones to politicize something, to 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 take advantage of their deaths in some way is it, really kind of monstrous, and 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 it's completely. Uh, you know, I, I now you know I read the paper. I'm very skeptical about what I read because it just feels like everybody has an agenda.
2: You you have to um, be. I'm I'm guessing. I don't know if you read. I'm I'm certain that you're familiar with Matt Taibbi, right? Of course. Did you read what he wrote yesterday on Substack about this event that took place in um, in Toronto last night? No. It, this is right along. I read some of this earlier. in In it's perfect and fits the theme right here. Apparently, they had something last night called the uh, Monk debates in Toronto, which they do every year. And he debated Malcolm Gladwell. It was um, Matt Taibbi and Douglas Murray against Malcolm Gladwell and um, Michelle Goldberg. And the topic Oh,
3: I like I like our side in that one. Well yeah, so listen <laughs> listen
2: to this. So this was the topic of the discussion. I want to go back. I'd like to see if I can find the video or the audio, but this was his what he did on Substack yesterday was just basically print his opening remarks. And the right. the entitled the debate was called Be It Resolved, Don't Trust the Mainstream Media. So he goes on and this is what's interesting because that guy, he's a lefty, right? And he admits it. He says, I'm no fan of Donald Trump. I wrote a book called Insane Clown President. But I, Matt Taibbi says, I've compiled a list of over 100 of these quote unquote bombshells that went belly up from Bounty Gate to MSNBC saying Russian oligarchs co-signed a loan for Trump to countless others. I mean, the list goes on. It's not just a handful, right? Right.
3: Oh, yeah, there was a great column. I I think it was an American, uh, no, it was the Washington Free Beacon, where the guy just, all of these stories that they put forward that they got wrong, you know, the way they had lionized, for instance, this uh, SBF guy with the Bitcoin. I mean, he was a hero to them. Um, and, and, And it's just, it's the idea that they are so arrogant that they think they're smarter and better than everybody else, and then they get so many things wrong. Frankly, if they were just really geniuses and they were running the country in a great way, if Biden and his progressive crew come in and, you know, turn everything around and everybody's got wonderful health care and the economy's humming and we're at peace, I'd go, well, geez, you know, uh, they they did a good job. But they screw up. I mean, look look at look at these last elections. Of course, the Republicans, you know, people would have hoped they'd done better, but they won the House. This guy had... You know all the wins at his back. You know he had the abortion decision that was a gift to him. Um, he had uh, the, the all of the mainstream press not simply saying you know Democrats are a better choice. They're saying nobody in good conscience can vote for a Republican. That's right. Yeah, they're monsters. Yes, I mean literally, and that anybody voted for them, uh, and and I think that's what I was trying to get at in my piece today was. Why did they hate Trump so much? He is coarse, he is combative, he has this Achilles heel where he cannot respond, he can't help but respond. But it was because he was an outsider and he came in and he did a better job than they had done. And that is a real indictment of them, that this guy who didn't know anything, just had calm, I mean, he's a very bright guy, but I mean, he had no experience in this stuff. He brokers peace in the Middle East. He figures out a way to get us a vaccine in record time. Does anybody Yeah, by the way, he
2: doesn't get credit. enough credit for that. No, no, and no. by the way, I'm not a huge Trump guy either, but there are things—you're yeah. right. He accomplished no. things, and there's no doubt. He surprised me in many ways. Look, this is uh, great stuff. I'm a big fan of Real Clear. I talk about him all the time. Jay, Peter Zane, thank you so much. We'll have you back. Great conversation. All right, take Merry care. Merry Christmas. You yeah. too.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect, impress them on the third date guacamole?
1: minimum of 4 lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due $35 per line connection charge applies ctmobile.com
2: uh reminder i think we're going to have mike kenny on tomorrow from define destinations talking about our spain trip this would be a great time as we are approaching the holidays to get all booked up for that we're going to leave on the 23rd of april and uh, head from St. Louis to Germany on Lufthansa and then head over to Madrid from there. Three nights in Madrid, three nights in Barcelona. You only have to take a week off of uh, work because we leave on a Sunday, we come back on a Sunday. So that's easy, too. You don't have to worry about, you know, missing or taking more vacation days. If you go to defineddestinations.com, you'll find out all the information. Mike Kenny is our guy. I traveled with him in 2011 to Italy. He took a group of listeners from here in St. Louis. We had a spectacular time. So these are great trips because if you've never been to Europe. It's a good way to dip your feet into the water. There's a lot of free time on this trip, too, so it's not all organized. Um, We'll have free time. We get breakfast included. We're going to go to Madrid for three nights, then take a high-speed rail trip to Barcelona, uh, see a bunch of fun things, and focus on food and beverage as well. So, join us in Spain. Defined Destinations April 23rd through the 30th. The pricing is outstanding. Check it out. We'd love to have you along. If you're a single, you can come along. If you want to travel from outside of the area, they can hook you up with different airfare and flights into um, Madrid will take great care of you. DefinedDestinations.com. We are joined this afternoon. We got an audio cut of the day coming up. But Dr. Martin McCary is back with us, Fox News medical contributor, professor of public health at Johns Hopkins Medical School and author of the new New York Times bestseller, The Price We Pay. We're going to talk about Dr. Fauci and some other things. Dr. McCary, welcome back. How are you?
5: Doing well. Good to be with you.
2: Well, let, let's talk a little bit here because um, I've seen some people questioning the um, Dr. Fauci exiting from this perspective. Has he, because I think the answer this might be a rhetorical question, has he, to a certain extent, destroyed the credibility of the public health establishment with the, uh, the way that they handled all this in the last couple of years? I mean, that, that's probably a, a complicated question to a certain extent. But what would you say about that?
3: Well, Dr.
5: Fauci is leaving at the end of this year. I'm personally devastated, but I will recover quickly because he has basically failed in his primary job of funding research. That's really his job. He is not a public health official, never was. He is a government head of an agency dedicated to funding research, and his primary job is to direct research. And that's the one thing where we completely failed during the pandemic on almost every major question. The NIH was delinquent, late or wrong in funding research. They spent very little money on COVID research. On the clinical questions, they basically blew them off and just told pharma to you know, produce a drug. And if you look at airborne transmission versus surface transmission, where you have to wash your hands like crazy. He didn't do that research. That could have been done in 24 hours, so they give everybody this false recommendation for months to wash your hands like crazy. We just got the research on vitamin D reduces COVID mortality. That study was well done, and it just came out. It's two and a half years late. He should have done that in a matter of weeks. All the major questions, natural immunity, vaccine complications, Uh, the effectiveness of boosters, the new bivalent vaccine, and I meant boosters in young people where we have no good data. The the new bivalent vaccine, they're pushing like crazy. Where's the randomized controlled trial? How do they not have a randomized controlled trial? And they're pushing this on every American. That is Dr. Fauci's ultimate legacy not doing the research we needed at the right time. One
2: of the things that always stood out when we had those conversations in the early part of the pandemic in 2020 was your... um I would say insistence, and this, this should have happened, that we don't just listen to a couple of different public health experts. How about other people, for example, yourself and um, maybe some others that have, you know, expertise in this particular field with different perspectives, but we really didn't get that. I mean, we got it on Fox if we were listening to you. You got it on this show if you were a guest, but it wasn't something that the whole country was able to really digest, and that, I think, was part of the problem, Dr. McCary.
5: Well, look, when the pandemic hit, Dr. Fauci and a couple of his old white friends got together and they said, we're just going to rule by edict and give our opinion and let's make sure we're all in agreement so nobody's confused. In other words, no different opinions out there. Now, they had a choice. They could have commissioned really good research and had good scientific evidence to guide policy, but they chose not to do that. They chose to rule by opinion and then squash other opinions. When the pandemic hit, Dr. Fauci did not show up to work at the NIH. He lived in a TV studio and for months and months and months ruled by his opinion. And he was eloquent in how he stated his opinion. He's a very smooth guy and he's very good on TV. But the reality is we didn't need opinions. We needed good evidence, and that's what he should have been doing in his office. So that, I think, has been one of the ultimate problems of the pandemic.
2: Where are we right now with COVID? Uh, We had an email this week, you know, when someone gets sick in the building, and I'm sure this is true with a lot of workplaces, you get an email that says that someone has tested positive. You know, they do some contact tracing to a certain extent. Don't know a lot of people who have COVID. Nobody that's close to me, acquaintance or anything like that. It's still out there, but are we seeing increased numbers? What would you say about COVID as we head into the uh, winter?
5: Well, COVID is pretty flat right now. Uh, We don't see a lot of COVID in the hospital Except for the incidental positive tests we get mild common cold-like illnesses from COVID. Now, there are reported deaths from COVID. The reported is, it's, A, we don't believe that. I don't believe it. It's maybe half or a third or a quarter of that number. And that's probably people who've died from other illnesses and COVID sort of puts them over the top. It hastens the death, it's specifically in older people with special medical conditions. 95% of the people in the hospital with a respiratory infection have flu or RSV, and yet I still hear people say crazy things like, oh, I'm sick, I'm coughing and sneezing, but thank God I tested negative for COVID. Well, whatever else infection you have, RSV or flu, has the same infection fatality rate nowadays. So that's the irony of where we are with COVID. Now, things could change in the future. We could see more COVID. We have to be open to mutations. And, but generally speaking, population immunity, mostly through natural immunity, has dumbed down the effect of COVID and probably will for future variants.
2: I do think, you know, to your point, the psychology of all this is still very fascinating because I think you're right. There are people out there that might not give a lot of attention to some of the other things that are floating around out there, but they think that COVID is going to, like, attack them underneath their mask if they're not double masks and take them out, right? That's sort of the way that I think some people view this still.
5: Well, when you listen to this, you know, media coverage of the so-called tridemics, sounds like Armageddon. And and really what we're seeing is a bad flu season and a bad RSV season and a very minimal background level of of COVID infection. And the flu and RSV season is in part from sheltering people and what we call immunity debt. Now, we knew we were in for a woozy season at some point, but when we shelter kids for so long, that's probably in part why we're seeing a massive influx. And so this was an unanticipated consequence of lockdowns and sheltering. And so we're seeing it now. And the White House, look, they got a big problem right now. They bought 171 million doses of the bivalent vaccine, the new vaccine booster. But 90% of Americans have said no. After three months of the White House pushing it hard on all the major media networks, most of whom are taking money from Pfizer and Moderna, Pushing it hard, and after three months of pushing it hard, only 35 million doses have been used of the 171 million stockpile the White House pre purchased. So they got a major problem right now. All they have to do to solve that problem is do one randomized control trial, wouldn't take that long, to show that it's effective. There's no clinical trial showing the new bivalent vaccine is effective. So without that evidence, I have a tough time recommending it for young, healthy people, or people who had Omicron this year and have natural immunity to it.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Dr. Martin McCarry is with us. You, you let me, I started this interview by asking you about the credibility of the public health establishment. You wrote a book called "The Price We Pay" that just came out. What broke American healthcare and how to fix it? And you feel that as a country, we've kind of lost trust in our doctors, right?
5: That's right, and a lot of it is. The old guard of medicine, well-intended, I think, but just probably drunk on their own power. We saw it during COVID get really bad. Why is all the research, pharma research and laboratory research, why aren't we studying environmental exposures that cause cancer instead of the chemotherapy to study it? That's exclusively all we do. We needed to be studying both. Why don't we study food as medicine? Why don't we treat diabetes with more cooking classes than just yes. throwing insulin at people? Why don't we talk about obesity at, at all during the pandemic? That's more effective than the vaccine is a, a treadmill or, wa- or walking in the park for 45 minutes a day. That's where we've gone off course here. We have the most over-medicated, disabled, overdiagnosed population in the history of the world. In some cases, we are living with the medicalization of ordinary life. And we need to get back to restoring communities, addressing social isolation, and talking about the underlying issues that cause illness, not just the whack-a-mole approach to medicating illness.
2: Stop it. You're making too much sense. And, you know, you and I have talked about these topics before, and I could not agree with you more. Why is it so difficult to get some of those things out there into the public and have conversations? It almost seems like it's like, you know, climate change, that that stuff, it's settled science. We can only go to the vaccines. We can't talk about other things that might help people stay healthy.
5: Well, I think there's good news on this front. And ultimately, I'm optimistic. I wrote about in this book, The Price We Pay, this new movement of doctors and clinicians, nurses who are saying, hey, we want to treat the whole person, not just medicate them in 10 and 15 minute visits. I mean, what are we doing? Nobody likes being seen in 10 minutes and having meds thrown at you. I mean, patients hate it. The doctors hate it. Why are we doing it? So there's a new Movement now within healthcare that's alive and well. And I write about that in in the book, The Price We Pay.
2: Well, we'll leave on a positive note. We'll leave right there. Dr. Martin McCary, always great to have you on. I know how busy you are, so I really appreciate you squeezing us in here in St. Louis. And you have a great holiday season.
5: Always great to be with you. You too. After the end of a
3: good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward.
2: So, do you have any friends who are physicians, doctors in the medical field? I don't
5: believe so. Really,
2: we well, you know people though who are. I doctors. I know lawyers. You? I got a lot of lawyers. Well, lawyers maybe a little similar because these are people, and we we can relate as people who. Well, you work for a living. I don't work for a living, so I can put myself in this group. But look, that's a high. That's a stressful job, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Being a lawyer, but physician, also being you know they got to work very hard. You got patients' lives in your hand, so. When it comes to the British Medical Journal, did a little research here, and they're trying to figure out doctor burnout is an issue. These doctors, they're working, they're stressed, and then they don't want to do it anymore, right? So that hurts all of society. So long hours. What, what contributes to doctor burnout? Would you say uh, long hours, lack of sleep, and uh, I, I, I lied. I, uh, one of my neighbors across the alley is one, and his he is works in the ER, and his hours change all the time right that's that's got to be stressful right so it's long hours grueling work schedules changing high stress patient ingratitude Mm. right excess paperwork dealing with insurance companies too many patients all of those things you would guess that those would be included right Mm. uh no there is one reason and one reason only that, die. what I'm about to tell you is so infuriating because I think I can show this to people, and you could do this with your friends and your family as an experiment and say, listen, listen what this Reardon guy said on the radio. They think it was a complete joke. The British Medical Journal, because it is really, the British Medical Journal, BMJ, has determined that it's white supremacy that is at the root of physician burnout oh yeah this is from this publication the physician burnout discourse emphasizes organizational challenges and personal well-being as a primary point of intervention however these foci we had to look this up that's like the plural of focuses right Mm -hmm. have minimally impacted this worsening public health crisis by failing to address the primary source of harm oppression organized medicine's whiteness developed and sustained since the 19th century, has molded training and clinical practice, favoring those who embody its oppressive ideals while punishing those who do not. Here, we reframe physician burnout as the trauma resulting from the forced assimilation into whiteness and the white supremacy culture embedded in medical training's hidden curriculum. We argue that... Ungaslighting the physician burnout discourse requires exposing the history, giving rise to medicine's whiteness and related white supremacy culture, rejecting discourses, obscuring their harm and using bold and radical frameworks to reimagine and transform medical training and practice into a reflective healing process. So here's my advice. Good grief. If, if you don't want if you don't like Western medicine, by the way. Go do something else, right? If, if you want the healing power of Western medicine, which has come pretty far, by the way. You know, I just talked about Cardinal Glennon. What these doctors... Have you ever been to a NICU? Not in a long time. You can see pictures. They have pictures at Cardinal Glennon of these babies that were born weeks, weeks old, right? And they can save these kids. And now they're adults, many of them. Teenagers. But... This medical journal wants to talk about how white supremacy and Western medicine is oppressive. And this is happening on a daily basis. Stuff like this. I'm so tired of it. I know many of you in the audience are tired of it as well. And I brought it up the way that I did because I do think that there's so many people, we were talking about this with uh, J. Peter Zane, so many people out there on the left that either they want to ignore stuff like this because I'd like to think if I presented this particular story tomorrow, for example, to um, the lefties on our roundtable panel, like Jane and Jack, they'd be outraged by this as well. But this goes on, by the way. Um, As a result... It says, indoctrination into the medical profession is a socialization process mediated through hidden curriculum, which is intimately intertwined with white supremacy culture. And this is a British publication? It's a British medical journal. Yeah. It's the most prestigious medical journal in the UK. This suratipish process—suratippish—I can't pronounce that word. say. Hmm. I can't say Process— <laughs> It's been a long day. I wish I knew what it was. Well, I just want to read the word for me there. Surreptitious? Yeah, but it doesn't doesn't look right there. (laughs) Begins early when caregivers expose children to narratives glorifying medicine's social status, heroism, and financial security as a result of this grooming process. Pre-med hopefuls invest exorbitant amounts of time and money to secure medical school admission, a highly competitive process that fuels a narrative of exclusivity. Not surprisingly, the majority of medical students worldwide come from affluent and elite educational backgrounds. Class privilege facilitates their admission and endows them with white supremacy's culture's most valued skills. Classism thus primes affluent students to acculturate to medical culture more expeditiously while further marginalizing students from more impoverished backgrounds here's what i want for my medical care in the future people who suck at medicine but they're not white that's what i really like in the future so let's see if we can get to that now the audio cut of the day Sponsored by my friends at the Good Feet store. It's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. KJP, Peter Ducey. a new romance is blooming.
1: When are you guys going to delete the White House Twitter account?
4: Why would we do that?
1: Well, you're saying that you're keeping an eye on Twitter because it might not be a suitable platform. So why use it?
4: The president has always said, and he has been very, very uh, clear in his belief that it is important of social media platforms to continue to take steps to reduce hate, speech, and misinformation.
3: What? Uh, Was that yeah, an there
2: answer? No, it wasn't an answer, but that's what she, she does. She never answers anything. Uh, well, by the way, this is coming on the heels of yesterday, in which she said this. We know, we
1: know the president's never been down to the border. The possible next speaker says uh, that he wants him to go with him, so is he going to?
4: So, look, uh, he's been there.
2: He's never been there. He, she just lies and lies and lies, and, you know, they... they talked about the last president lying. This one does a pretty good job as well, right? Have a great night. Rear and round table tomorrow at 3 o'clock.
1: Let's go Blues! Woo! Get more at 971talk.com We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? Over here! Only at T-Mobile. Get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. <laughs>